Welcome to Your Lot and Parcel Podcast with your host, Benjamin Diaz, designed strictly for you, the consumer. You will find that this platform has your best interests at heart. Thank you for your company today. This is Benjamin, your host here. In this episode, we are discussing the science of toxicology, which are chemicals or substances that are implicated in poison exposure children and adults. What are the most common poisonous substances in the home? She will be elaborating on that particular concern today. What are the advantages of handling poison exposure cases at home? You will find that her answer is noteworthy. The doctor was very gracious to take time to speak to us during her work day in the hospital. Very gracious indeed, I would say. Let's welcome Dr. Kelly Johnson Harbour. Thank you, Kelly, for being on our show. And um, of course, today we'll be discussing the field of the, the science of uh, toxolo- toxicology, I should say. It's an interesting uh, field of science, uh, which will help us to understand the harmful effects, certain chemicals uh, that are, you find within the home and around the home, substances, and even situations that we may find ourselves in and our loved ones. So I really appreciate you being with us today. So tell us a little bit about yourself and the mission of your organization, Kelly, if you would. Sure. So um, again, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. My name is Dr. Kelly Johnson Arbor. I'm a medical toxicology physician, um, and I am co-medical director of National Capital Poison Center. So National Capital Poison Center is the regional poison center serving Washington, D.C., as well as parts of Maryland and Virginia. It's one of 55 regional poison centers in the U.S., and our goal is to help diagnose, treat, and prevent poisonings of all types, both intentional and unintentional. Yes, I think it's a wonderful program because I, I did uh, browse through the uh, your website, and I'll tell you what, it's a very comprehensive. Uh, so would you tell us a little bit uh, Um, and share with us uh, some of the online tools that you have for the public. Sure. So there's two ways to to get poison control help in the U.S. One is to call. And we all know that the um, toll-free number for poison control is 800-222-1222. That number has been around for many, many years. But Mm -hmm. now in the advent of the internet, we know that people do not want to call. They do not want to be on hold. Sometimes they feel judged or embarrassed about calling. And so that's why we developed the online tool of Web Poison Control. Web Poison Control is an online tool for people to get poison help online. Um, And it's available and it's expert advice and it's free to the public. It's um, the content is created by myself and other toxicologists. Web Poison Control is used by poison centers across the US. We want people to get the most accurate information because we know there's a lot of bad information that is not correct and not uh, based on any medical facts at all. And it's mm-hmm. it's available online. Um, so we developed Web Poison Control to uh, maintain the most up-to-date and accurate information for the public when you need it. Yes, very good. You know, I, so let's say uh, Kelly, if I were to call in with, uh, with an issue, uh, would you share the, uh, the one as to who would be answering my, my, attending my, my needs if I had an issue, their qualifications and so forth. 
Sure. So this is a really good question because I think a lot of people don't know who answers the phones at Poison Control. It's not me. Um, each Poison Center has physicians on backup. And so we are the backup. But the actual people who answer the phones are specially trained nurses and pharmacologists. They are not volunteers. They are people who are specially trained in the diagnosis and management of poisonings. They take examinations. They have to recertify. Um, it's definitely a, a field that requires advanced qualifications. Yeah, well, that's great. You know, that's really good. I, you know, by uh, so I would say that by handling poison exposure cases at home, uh, would, would you speak to how this mitigates the cost and the unnecessary stress? Sure. So this is really interesting, especially in the context of the ongoing ongoing COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, it's really interesting to know that most of our poisoning cases are observed at home or without medical intervention. So unlike what you may think, we are not sending people into the ER over and over and over again. About 66% of our cases nationwide are managed at home. And for children younger, the, younger than the age of six, that goes up to more than 90%. So mm -hmm. we are saving money. So poison control does save save money because we're reducing unnecessary ER visits, unnecessary doctor's appointments, and we're keeping people out of the hospital when they don't need to be there. So in the context of COVID-19, this is hugely important. We oh, don't gosh. want to be going into the hospital if we don't need to be there. And so poison control can help people stay away from the hospitals because again, most of our cases are managed without going into the hospital. So mm -hmm. that also not just relieves costs, but it also can reduce stress on people. You don't have to worry about, you know, taking a car into the hospital or parking or being exposed to COVID. If you call poison control and you're given a recommendation to stay at home, then you can trust that recommendation and stay at home and not have to worry about going to the hospital. Yes. Now we do send some people. We do send some people to the hospital. So I don't want people to think that everyone's managed at home. If the poison specialist who takes your call believes that uh, your condition is better treated in the hospital setting, some people have to go in because of the the medication they took or the timing of it or their under underlying medical conditions. So we don't manage everyone at home. But again, most people are managed at home. I understand. Well, good. I would venture to say you were busy uh, the last 12 months since um, it was suggested, you know, to stay away from the hospital as all possible, but uh, I can well imagine. So let me ask you this, uh, Kelly, uh, you know, we, we, we all know that to keep wine, beer, and liquor away from children. However, uh, what would be some of the common products, uh, Kelly, that we may be overlooking? So I think you're right. I think we all know that alcohol is bad for children. But we don't always think about the other things in our homes that might be dangerous for young children or even adults. So actually, household products are the most commonly reported substances to poison control for young children. So this is going to be like your cosmetics, your cleaning products, your personal mm. care products. Um, if you when you go into the store and you buy cleaning products, look at them carefully. Some of them are brightly colored, they're packaged in ways that are attractive to young children, they might have a cartoon character on the bottle, they might be purple in color, and they might look like something yummy like grape juice. So these are products that kids frequently get into. So it's really important that people keep all household products up high and out of the reach of young children, because kids are exploratory in nature, and they will see something that they're not used to, and they will try to take a drink of it or get it on their skin or maybe even in their eye. So it's really important to avoid accidental exposures to these products. We also see that children get exposed to other things as well. So mm -hmm. vitamins and 
dietary mm. supplements and, and things that are not kept locked away in a medicine cabinet, for example, even things like plants can be potentially toxic to young children. Some of the, some of the plant leaves can be very irritating to the stomach and the mouth. Um, so we do get those exposures as well. Very good. I, uh, you know, it's interesting. And what children, of course, are very curious about different things and everything I got, you know, and um, I can see where that can be a problem when you do have things where they're able to reach. Um, so let me ask you, does age uh, play into uh, into poison statistics? And, and if you would share some of those studies, uh, Kelly. Sure. So age is important. So actually, the first poison controls were made to uh, help children and children still account for a majority of our poison exposures in the US. Children mm. under the age of six account for almost half of our poison mm. control exposures. So that's a huge number for that yes. very young population. And almost all of these very young children's exposures are unintentional exposures. So they don't result in significant toxicity. So again, there, there are things like, you know, like diaper rash cream, or maybe a, um, you know, a bar of soap or something like that, that a child just, you know, puts in their mouth as, as an exploratory uh, gesture. And these generally don't result in severe toxicity or even really clinically significant medical issues for most children. Um, but again, we do want people to call because sometimes certain things can be dangerous and you're not going to know unless you contact poison control. So that's the very young. Now, in contrast, adult patients also make up about half of our exposures, but mm. only about maybe 60, maybe less than half of that of the adult cases are unintentional. Most adult cases are intentional in nature. So that's very different because mm. adult intentional poisoning is very different and generally associated with a more severe outcome than those mm. unintentional pediatric exposures. Interesting. Uh, intentional poisoning. You know, I would like to think that uh, this is a low percentage. Would that be a valid statement? I hope. Well, I wish it were. So um, fortunately, intentional poisonings are still significant, and they still represent a pretty substantial amount of our poisoning exposures in the United States. Mm. So overall, across all age groups, about a fifth of all poisonings reported to poison centers are intentional. Um, again, in the younger age groups, they're, 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 less, they're much less likely to be intentional. So for the young children, only about maybe 1% or so of all exposures in children less than six years of age are intentional. But again, in the adult population, we see adults overdosing on medications, things like that. Um, and so most adult exposures are still intentional in nature. Mm, interesting. I wonder if the last 12 months have played a big factor in them. I wonder. Uh, I don't know if you had any studies on that, but uh, you know, because being cooked up, it does uh, it conducive to depression and so forth. You know, and it's just uh, very difficult for some, but uh, something to think about. We are speaking with a doctor who specializes in toxicology, and she's providing us a lifeline in case of accidental poisoning by means of her organization that is available 24-7. Let's get back with Dr. Kelly Johnson-Arbor. So you indicated um, cosmetics are, are one of the most uh, common implications for poisoning for children. Anything else that we may be interested in knowing about other sure, poisons? So 
Again, the most common substances that we see reported from children in terms of poisoning are going to be the cosmetics and the personal care products. So, you know, your body lotions, your shampoos, um, as well as pain medications. But you were just talking about in the last year with the COVID-19 pandemic, what we saw was that a lot of, we were getting a lot more exposures to things like hand sanitizers and also Mm. just household cleaning products. So what did we try to hoard over the last year? We all were going after toilet paper, which is not really toxic, we don't really eat it, but we were also going after the hand sanitizers and the bleaches and and those kind of cleaning products. And so we saw a huge spike in our exposures in all Mm. age groups to the hand sanitizers and bleach products. Um, For the pediatric population, for the children, it's interesting because the concern for the hand sanitizers is that a lot of them contain ethanol. And during Mm. the last year, because there was such a shortage of sanitizers, a lot of local distilleries and other companies got into the business of making hand sanitizer products, products. And some of those products had very, very high concentrations of ethanol in them to the point where a small exposure to a child drinking the product could result in significant alcohol intoxication. So we we definitely are concerned about that. Then there was the issue of the methanol contamination that came up later in the year. Um, so definitely these household products are, are potentially very dangerous to young children if they get into them. Yes, very good. I appreciate that. Well, I, I can understand that. I mean, stands to reason they're, uh, they're uh, or more readily uh, found within the home in the last 12 months. So I can understand that. What, uh, what leads the list of uh, common, uh, the, uh, the common implications to uh, adult poisoning? Sure. So adults are completely different than children in terms mm-hmm. of poison exposures. So again, because adults are more likely than children to have intentional exposures, we see more prescription medications implicated mm-hmm. in adult poisonings. So things like pain medications, um, whether it's Tylenol or acetaminophen or ibuprofen or Aleve or um, even aspirin, as well as other prescription sedative hypnotic drugs, benzodiazepines, your Ativan, your Xanax, um, Mm -hmm. antipsychotic drugs, antidepressants, all of these prescription medications that adults have um, frequently prescribed for them are what we see in adult cases of poisonings. All right. I can understand that. Uh, would you speak to the um, the epidemic of uh, opiates? Opiates. I understand there's been a big issue there in the northeast uh, part of the country, but can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So the opioid epidemic, we haven't heard much about recently, just because COVID mm-hmm. has been in the news yes. all day, every day. But it's yeah. still a thing. So. According to the CDC, unintentional poisoning is actually the leading cause of injury death across all age groups. So more than car accidents, more than firearms, for example. And this might be surprising to some people, but again, this is in part due to this continuous rise in opioid exposures and opioid-related deaths that have occurred in recent years. So flashback about maybe 15, 20 years ago, we were seeing increasing use of prescription pain medications like your oxycodone, your hydrocodone, your hydromorphone, which is your Dilaudid. Mm-hmm. And that sort of started this opioid epidemic. But what happened is that when people did not have access to those prescription medications, they went towards the drugs that you can get on the street. So then we saw increases in things like heroin and cocaine. And we were seeing a lot of increases over the last like five or so years in exposures and deaths from the street drugs. Now we're seeing in the last couple of years, fentanyl has come to play. 
So mm. fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. It's, it's much, much, much more potent than heroin or oxycodone or hydrocodone. And very, very small amounts can be deadly to individuals. Mm. Um, in order to, I guess, enhance the availability of the fentanyl supply in the US, drug manufacturers are actually making fentanyl analogs. And so people are, you might hear in the media about people being poisoned by car fentanyl or the horse tranquilizer fentanyl. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is all just basically small modifications of the fentanyl chemical structure that result in a, a, dr a drug that has much higher potency than the run-of-the-mill fentanyl. So the op opioid epidemic is still a huge concern. We are still seeing um, overdoses and exposures to opioids, but we, you know, it's, it's evolved over time. And now we're seeing things that are very, very difficult to test for and sometimes very difficult to treat because they require a lot more of the traditional antidotes than we would norm normally use. Hmm. Interesting. Well, <clears throat> of course, um, another um, point here I was going to ask you also, of course, you know, pets are likened to family members, you know, <laughs> what can you tell us about keeping our pets safe, doctor? So I can't tell you much because I'm a human doctor. So poisonings <laughs> okay. can be very, very different than yes. human poisonings. Um, you know, we don't go to veterinarians for our medical care and we don't uh. take pets to the medical doctor at the hospital for their medical care. The mm. mechanisms of toxicity, as well as just the overall physiology in some animals is very, very different than for humans. And so because of that, um, even though people will sometimes still call the poison centers in the U.S. for animal poisonings, we mm -hmm. are not specialists in animal poisonings. I am not trained at all in animal poisonings. Again, I'm a human doctor. I went to medical school to take care of humans. So sure. I am not able to treat animal poisonings. The, okay. There are several animal poison control centers in the U.S., um, we recommend that people who have concerns about animal exposures call one of those centers. There you go. Very good. Very good. So <clears throat> generally speaking, then, uh, doctor, uh, just for the sake of knowing, uh, generally speaking, in preventing poisoning, where are we, uh, generally speaking? Is it on an incline or would you say on a decline? So that's an interesting question. So it's a little hard to say, and it depends on where you look for your information. So I will say that overall in the U.S. over the last several years, there has been a general decline in the number of people who are calling poison control, but mm. that doesn't mean that fewer people are getting poisoned. What that means is that people are going to other sources for poison control information. So people are going online to the internet and they are Googling what happens if my child eats Play-Doh or something like that oh, instead of yeah. calling the poison center. Yeah. And we know that the um, online poison control system, web poison control is managing a lot of calls on a daily basis. So we probably manage, you know, three to 400 calls on a, uh, I'm sorry, not calls. We manage three to 400 exposures on a daily basis on web poison control. So we mm -hmm. know that people are still going online for information and overall poison control um, services between the traditional phone line and the online web poison control service are probably actually increasing in volume because there's so many different ways for people to get information now. So mm -hmm. even though, people might not be calling poison control as frequently as they once did. That certainly does not mean that people are being poisoned any less. And there's different types of poisonings every week. There's new prescription drugs that come out. There are new things that come out in the media about what people are getting into, whether it's a new fentanyl analog, 
a new poisonous plant, um, you know, a new species of snake or um, some other animal that has made its way into a different geographical area. So poisonings are still occurring. Mm. Wow. So it's a matter of uh, education, you know, as to what uh, you have within the home and uh, and awareness, keeping your children safe, not to mention yourself, because, um, I mean, it's as simple as um, very low uh, lighting. <laughs> I knew one couple that uh, she needed uh, a couple of eye drops, and what does he do? Well, there wasn't enough lighting. He put eardrops into her eye. So I imagine that. So it, uh, it, it's just uh, some practical things you need to put into place to, to be safe. Um, that is doctor. very common, actually. Oh, um, gosh, sorry yes. to interrupt you, but yeah, it's it's not uncommon for people to do that. So, and yes. you know, doing something like putting your eardrops into you into your eye, this is something that again, people might be embarrassed to call poison yeah. control about. But we don't want mm-hmm. people to be embarrassed. Poison control is not a government agency. We're not here to judge you. We don't report you to anyone for doing something like that. We do want people to contact us. But again, if you're not comfortable calling, you can certainly go online. That's very good. As I indicated earlier, I did browse the website and you talk about mold, you talk about uh, mothballs, which I really didn't think about. It is a pesticide. You talk about inhalant uh, abuses and so forth. You do have lots of good information on your website. I would encourage uh, our listenership to to visit that website. So how can my audience uh, reach out to your organization for more information, doctor? All right. So again, poison control is a free service to the public. We are open 24 hours a day, seven days mm-hmm. a week, 350, yeah, 350. I can't say that. I'm just going to start over again. That's all, right. It's okay. <laughs> all right. So again, poison control is always available. We are a free service to the public. We are open mm-hmm. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 mm-hmm. days a year. And anyone can contact us. There's two ways to contact poison control. One is to call 1-800-222-1222, or you can also go online to www.poison.org. Very good. Very good. I know you have a wonderful jingle on on your website, and we'll be closing today with that jingle. Great. Thank you so much for allowing us to be on your podcast, and thank you for promoting poison control services in the U.S. Thank you, doctor. 1-800-222-1222 If you think it might be poison Then the first thing you should do is call 1-800-222-1222 For poison emergencies or just questions The Poison Control Center hotline is here 24-7 with the expert help you need If you think it might be poison Then you don't know what to do Call 1-800-222-1222 For you listeners, if you have a suggestion or a recommendation of a subject matter you want to discuss, please let me know at yourlotandparcel.com. And now, if you would excuse me. This program has been produced by Isaac Diaz with music by Echo Foxtown. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. For more information, please visit the website yourlotandparcel.com.